bit of a rough day, I will just be honest. Thanks, Hank. Um, so, like, was in Christchurch this morning, and um, feeling a little bit nervous about speaking, but, you know, confident. And um, <laughs> arrive at the airport, and, uh, like, get out of the, get out of the, um, like, the, we dropped our rent car off, and then we got driven to the airport in the shuttle, and got out, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I've left my laptop in the rental car that is like 10 minutes away from the airport. And so the woman that dropped us off was like, I'll go back and get your laptop, which is which had my sermon, like printed off inside it. So anyway, wait for her, she comes back, gives me the sermon, and I'm like, yes, good. Because I didn't, like I'm very disorganized, and I was like, I don't want to let the boss down. I'm like, this is Rose, you know, like, I'm just like, first time, first time I'm here, I was like, I don't want it to go bad. And then, um, so I'm like, that's all good. And then uh, we get the boarding call for our plane, and we like, hop on, and it's like, really warm in the plane, like oddly hot, and I'm like, okay, this is a bit random, and so we like, are sitting in there, and it's like, we're all sweating, and then the pilot comes on, and it's like, this isn't the news you want to hear, and I was like, okay, well, this isn't going to go well, and she's like, you're all going to have to hop off this plane, because the radio's not working, and I was like, who needs the radio, like, <laughs> like who needs the radio, like, I, I prefer if you didn't have the radio on, um, so anyway, we hop off the plane, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to text Rose, and be like, it's two o'clock now, and the plane's delayed, like, potentially start writing a sermon. Um, so, but I was just, like, playing it cool, and anyway, so, I was like, don't panic, it'll be okay. So, anyway, we get back on the plane about, like, half an hour later, so I'm like, sweet, that's done. And then the flight attendant's like, hey, just to let you know, um, there's a bumblebee on board this plane. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm like, a bumblebee is, like, grounding us. So, anyway, there was a bit of a kerfuffle. We finally take off. And like, without a word of a lie, was the worst plane ride of my life, eh? Like, Brooke was like, like so pale, I thought she was gonna vomit. I was kind of like, okay, I may not be speaking about Jesus, I may just actually be meeting him today, you know? Like, <laughs> it's like getting real, <laughs> it's a little bit hearing here. Um, but kind of like segues nicely to what I was gonna speak about. Um, which is, yeah, so like, I, I had planned when Rose had said, do you wanna speak at the start of the year to sort of, um, to bring a message of encouragement, which this will be, but also I felt, yeah, I don't want to be a downbutt, but I just want to, to frame this up, that I'm going to speak tonight about suffering, and, um, and yeah, and really, woo, yeah, um, and really just frame that up for us this year, because as I was reflecting on what it was that we could, we could share tonight, I, I did feel that the one thing that's probably promised for all of us, in various degrees and forms, will be that this year um, will have an element of suffering in it, and I think, um, yeah, I was reflecting on last year, and sort of, that was a really rough year for, um, for Brooke and I, and, um, and some of the things that flowed out of that um, were lessons around suffering. Um, probably like one of the most impactful sort of lessons came, we went to Europe, which was so cool. We got to, to do a little bit of an OE, um, and we went to Germany as part of that, and went to um, the concentration camp Dachau. Um, I don't know like who of you have been here, but it's obviously a pretty moving, emotional place. Um, it's like outside of Munich, so when you get to Munich, you catch this train, and it only takes kind of like 10 minutes, which is like kind of weird, because you go from like city to death camp in like a very short space of time. Um, and it's, it's kind of eerie, because they drop you off sort of outside the camp, and then you walk through in groups, kind of as if, um, well, similar to what the people um, that went there, uh, the way that they experience walking to that camp themselves. Um, and as you walk in, you go through uh, this building, which um, 
has now been turned into a museum. So you, you see all these images and you read these posters and you watch these movies about what happened here. So it sort of gives you really good context as to, to what you're about to walk into. And as you walk out, you step into where the roll call area is um, and you see the barracks and um, we walked a little bit further and like to the left there is this crematoria uh, where they, they burnt the bodies and like we've all seen the images of these bodies stacked on bodies, stacked on bodies and they've got like the pictures showing exactly where that was and you're like, man, that's so full on. Um, and then there was like this little path that we walked down. It wasn't signposted or anything, but we walked down and I was kind of like, oh, this is, this is just like a trodden path. This is a part of the, the camp. Um, but as we walked, we like, we walked and there was like this sign and it was like here um, lie the ashes of like 5,000 people. And we were like, that is phenomenal. Like that is so sobering. Um, and then you just walk a little bit further and there's like this ditch where they used to execute people. Um, and it's just like, wow. But the, the thing that impacted me the most, the thing that I found like the most unsettling was this, as you walk down the end of the camp, there's this building that's been um, built since then. And I was like, we were like, Brooke and I were like, what is this building? This is kind of strange. It kind of looks like a tower thing. Um, and we had like our little audio guide things in our ears. And um, the, the audio guide said, this is a chapel. Um, built by the survivors of Dachau, um, and it's called the Mortal Agony of Christ. And beside the Mortal Agony of Christ is a Presbyterian church, and to the other side is this um, Jewish temple, and behind that is a, a, um, a convent of nuns who, who spend their, their lives praying over this space. Um, and I was just like standing at the Mortal Agony of Christ and just was like so... Um, confused as to like why in this place like of all the places to build a temple to build a chapel would it be here and especially because you think of the concentration camps as being um, something that the Jewish people were um, subjected to but like we didn't know that Dachau um, was where all the Christians were sent that was the, the camp where the clergy um, were sent if they disobeyed um, Hitler so not all clergy um, were imprisoned, but those that stood up for the kingdom and stood up for um, what they thought was were, was right were sent to, to duck out, and it was known during the time as the largest monastery on earth because it housed so many um, priests, which is incredible. Anyway, so we're at this, this temple, and um, we learn that it's built by this guy called Johannes Neusler, who was this, um, this Catholic dude or priest, not a dude, um, who, who survived Dachau, and after Dachau, he went back and was like, we need to build something here to remind people of, of who we were and where we were and what God has done for us. Um, so, yeah, pretty incredible. And I was like, okay, so I was unsettled by the fact that it was a concentration camp, and I think if any of us went there, we would be, like, moved. But more than that, I was like, it revealed a flaw in my own faith, because I was like, the last thing that I would do if I'd survived that was go and build something that glorified a God that potentially allowed that to happen, you know? I was like, that just, for me, in my own life, I know the areas where my heart is harder towards God and the ways 
that he has, well, I feel that he's let me down. But I was like, man, that's got nothing. Anything that I've been through, it's got nothing on what Johannes Lusler and his brothers in Christ went through. Um, and it really didn't take long for me to work out, well, actually, the reason that they were probably able to do that, the reason they were able to, to go back there to that place and build something was because they knew their Bible well, right? Like these are priests, these are people that are well-versed in Scripture. I mean, the Bible promises um, for all of us who follow Christ that suffering will come in, in some form. In First Peter, it says, Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. So these clergy that were there, they knew full well that suffering would come and I think they must have had a reasonably strong understanding if they were able to continue in the walk with Christ after all of that took place, after seeing, you know, women and children murdered, as well as their fellow brothers. Um, they must have had a really good, strong understanding of what Christ was about. And um, atop of the, the chapel is Christ um, with the, the crown of thorn around his head. Um, and reading about the chapel, they intentionally put the crown of thorns instead of a cross there um, as a reminder of the crucifixion. And uh, yeah, I was like, when you actually think about this, right, like as for, for those of us who are on this walk, like we worship Jesus and we worship like this God who, who was crucified. And we dwell on that at Easter. Um, but I think sometimes it's worth dwelling on that like in times like this, at the start of a year, we are like, we want to bring the vibes and um, we don't want to be downcast, but it's actually like, yeah, we're here because we have some inkling or insight about Jesus. And Jesus was a man who suffered tremendously on the cross, who, who was physically destroyed um, and eventually died, but also spiritually um, suffered a huge amount. And Marcus says that, you know, at the very time that Jesus needed his friends, the 12 men that he had gathered around him throughout his ministry, they, quote, deserted him and fled. And I was like, yeah, that is actually, that is who Jesus is. Like, he is all-powerful, and he is full of grace and full of might, but he was also, he also suffered in such a human and, and gory way. And not only did he suffer like the weight of sin, whatever that means for us. Like I don't think we can fully understand that, but like his friends left him. And I was like, man, how often is it in times of struggle that our friends or our family or the people that we rely on like aren't there for us? And I think at least that's an area where we can go, okay, yeah, like I can relate to that. Like Jesus went through all of that um, and his friends left him too. And I was like, yeah, so these, these priests... They knew what they were getting themselves into. And I think that's why they were able to go back. And it not, it's not just Jesus who suffered, right? Like, it's, it's, it's kind of like straight after Jesus dies, and then everyone then sort of regathers. And then they're like, cool, sweet, we're going to go out now and preach the gospel to all of the world. And it's just like, man, in terms of like, if you're like, oh, so how did it go? Like, people in Galilee are like, so how's it going, the whole Jesus vibe thing that you guys have gone off and done? Well, you'd have like people saying, well, shipwrecks, starvation, imprisonment, beatings, like executions, people's heads getting cut off. So I'm like, yeah, um, pretty rough, eh? But 
But in saying that, that is the invitation of Christ, right? Not to get our heads cut off. But it is the invitation of Christ is bound up in this strange connection to suffering. Like there is a connection with God as Christians. That suffering somehow brings us closer to God um, because God was a God who suffered. And there is fertile soil in our suffering where God wants to meet us. It's not a place of barrenness. It's not a sign that God has deserted us necessarily. It can be this beautiful place where that is the very ground in which we can meet God the most. And so, like, yeah, as we begin this year, but also, I mean, 2020, new decade, um, I think it is important for us to, to reflect on where we're at with suffering, with the suffering of last year. Like, I know it's like we've ticked over to a new year, but as Brooke was saying, like, nothing, there's no, like, magic, like, marker that erases 2019 and everything that went on. Like, everything that was there on January 31st, you kind of wake up with on January 1st, um, or December 31st, you wake up on, you know, yeah, that'd be crazy. Thank you, man. Yeah. Because um, I'm always like, sweet, new year, new me, like, let's, let's stop eating sourdough, let's cut back on the chocolate, let's, like, let's run more. Um, and, like, everything that happened in 2019, there's, like, a magic wall there. But the reality is that, that there is no wall there, that, that is, that is um, yeah, that's made up in my mind, anyway. Um, yeah. And I think, in terms of resolutions and intentions, I was like, man, forget about the chocolate. Like, eat as much chocolate as you want. Like, eat as much sourdough as you want. The real thing is, is can I actually embrace suffering? Like, can I, am I willing, instead of, and it's not about taking it lying down, right? Like, God wants us to fight. But in terms of the suffering that is inevitably going to come, and there is some suffering that you just can't fight, right? You just can't fight grief. Um, am I willing to embrace that? Like, am I willing to accept it? And, and most importantly, and this is where the work of Christ comes in, am I willing to let it transform me? Um, yeah. One of the, um, the favorite, my favorite verses in the Bible is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. So he's in the midst of the crucifixion. And he turns to the two criminals next to him and essentially just says, today with me, paradise. Um, and I try and reflect on that in the times of, of struggle. Like today with me, paradise. But if you're anything like me, I can easily let go of that and find it really difficult to be able to see the fact that God is with me or even understand that he is he's offering me some kind of of paradise um and as we look through scripture i think that we're able to to see that it's a common theme as well that flows through um in particular exodus you've got the israelites who've been enslaved in egypt and by moses god leads them out of egypt um but these are people who have suffered for like a really long time and like there are people in this community that i know have suffered for just years and years and years and years um, and it's really hard when you've been suffering for that long to, to be able to see like where the hope lies. Um, and interestingly, it says in Exodus that when the children of Israel, well, going back a bit, it says that, that God blessed the children of Israel when they were hungry. He gave them 
food that fell from heaven, manna that fell from heaven. Um, so like actual bread fell from the sky, pretty much, like, like Wellington sourdough falls onto our laps, right? And it says, when the children of Israel saw it, so the people that had been enslaved, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And I'm like, crazy. Like, what an example of how, as humans, we can miss God blessing us. Like, when we have been subjected to so much trauma and so much pain and anxiety, and these people are in the... I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're free from slavery, but they're in the desert, you know? Like... And they don't have sunscreen. Um, there's no SPF 50. Um, and God blesses them with bread. And they just, they can't see it. Yeah, I think that, like, in this moment, I wonder in our own lives as we reflect over the last year, whether there were any moments where maybe God had blessed us, where there was a bit of a, a mana from heaven moment. Like, I doubt any of us had sourdough fall onto our laps, but it could have been, well, for me at least, I was, like, reflecting on this, and I was like, oh, like, reconciliation within my family, um, like, some healing, um, some other stuff that just sort of went on, and I was like, oh, like, those were all real, like, what I would describe as little wins, and things that I probably chalked up as just sort of being inevitable, but then when I reflect back on it, I'm like, well, actually, yeah, last year was really tough, and I never, I think, fully acknowledged the work that God was doing. And so, like, as we cast forward to this year, like, as we sit in this moment about to embark on whatever will unfold in front of us, I think God, like, is calling us to lift our heads a bit. And there's grace in that, right? Like, God understands our suffering. Like, this is such a gracious, gracious God. Um, but also, he, he asks us to keep our eyes trained on Him, like, in all times. There are also stories in the Bible of people that, um, yeah, that have like a really good perspective on suffering, I think. And Rose pointed this out um, when I, I sent her the sermon to just make sure, she, you know, it was all okay and not heretical or anything like that. And got the tick of approval. Um, but she did point out um, the story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And I was like, actually, so good, right? So you've got this, this woman, um, I think it's in Mark. Um, and she's been bleeding for like 12 years. Like, horrific. And it says in the Bible that she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. So she hasn't just been suffering and not trying to find help. Like, she has been knocking on doors. Like, many doctors she has, she has gone around to try and find a cure. And then one day she sees Jesus walking in the street. And she goes, I'm going to go up to him. And maybe, just maybe, something is going to happen between him and I that will allow all of this to end. And to add another element to the fact that she's suffering, she's also suffering in shame because in that culture she would have been seen as unclean um, because she was bleeding. But, like, this is a woman who knows the power of hope, who is like, actually, my hope is far bigger than any cultural norm. And it's far bigger than any number of doctors that I've gone to see. And she goes and touches Jesus, and she's healed. And I was like, 
I wish I had her face sometimes because I can very much be an Israelite, like being like struggling to see what God is doing and if there is any hope. But like here is a woman that shows us like for 12 years she suffered and she did all she could and continued to do all she could until she got what she needed. I think like suffering, I mean I don't know, I know some of you, but I don't know all of you, and I don't know where you're at with your walk um, on this glorious path, but um, like suffering is something that I wasn't told a lot about is when I became a Christian, I became a Christian sort of a little bit later into my teenage years, and was, was definitely sold the idea of freedom, um, which is beautiful and correct, but I wasn't told that actually with freedom will come this inevitable suffering that we've talked about. Um, and I just want to reiterate that, yeah, the, the Bible is clear. Um, Jesus told his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And I think we kind of know what it means to pick up our cross. Like, and, you know, we just we sort of just take it for granted. It's one of those Christian things like, whatever. Um, and I think probably for me, when I was like, I'll take up my own cross, means like giving up all the, the worldly things that I desired when I wasn't a Christian and subjecting myself to the horror that is Christian rock. Um, but I think, like, the reality, um, the reality is that, yeah, I won't always be protected from my suffering. Um, I will be sustained through it if I put my hope in Christ. Um, but I won't always be protected from it. And as Christians, I think the, the important part for us to hang on to in that, which maybe defines us from, um, from just having hope, is that we're not defined by the suffering. Our faith isn't built actually around the suffering of Christ and the crucifixion. It's built from the hope that flows from that. So we're not defined by our suffering. We're actually defined by the hope. And I think when I look back at, um, yeah, when I look back at Dachau and that, that chapel, I'm like, that is not a chapel that was built because those people suffered. It's not a big thing going, we suffered, look at us. It's actually like, we suffered, but we are defined by the hope of Christ. Yeah, as Paul said, and Paul went through some pretty, pretty horrible things. We are pressed on every side by our troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Yeah. And I think about, wow, like Johannes Nisla, who was in that camp. Like, I'm sure that he fully understood that verse, you know? That we are pressed on every side by our troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, like we are confused, like why is this happening? But we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Hmm. I think, as a community, but also as individuals, the challenge in this is to go like Johannes Nisler and the survivors of Dachau. Of like, where are we going to build our hope? Like, where are we building? I'm not expecting any of us to build an actual temple of hope, but like, where are we metaphorically building in the places of our suffering? And are we, 
yeah. are we able to do that? Are we able to invite Christ into that enough? Um, and have yeah, and have that flow from it. As a community, how do we, how do we respond to that? I don't I don't fully know. I think I think that it's about. I was like, well, how would I do this? Maybe like committing to prayers is more is really important this year, and and going to the free store, um, and like reclaiming the ground that is lost in our suffering for Christ and for the goodness of Christ, and showing with whatever energy we have left in the fight, right? And like. There are days where there is no energy left. There's weeks and there's months. But on those, on those occasions where we can muster enough to be like, actually, today is about building and showing that there is hope at the centre of all of the story. I think as individuals, it's also important to, to understand that suffering isn't always an interruption. Like, yeah, it's not always an inconvenience when there's a bumblebee on the plane. Like, some things God allows into our life and some things are a result of sin, and some things just happen, you know, like, bad stuff just, just happens, like, leaving, me leaving my laptop in the car was not a result of anything other than my stupidity, um, yeah, and I think our expectations with suffering, it really comes back to the point of transformation, as Christians, we are, we are walking on this path in the hope that it's not about just getting to the destination. It's the transformation that takes place in our souls, in our being, in our mind, on the way there. God desires our full hearts and our full worship. Um, and this means that our acts of worship in the good times and in the bad times are, are equally important. And I'm not going to go on for much longer. Um, and I want to like save some space and some time for us just to commit this year and worship to God. Um, but as we worship, like I just want us to, to reflect on the suffering that, that may be taking place now, the suffering that has taken place in the past, and invite God into that. And just ask that God would yeah, that you would that God would allow you to feel his presence. And that more than that, that he would uh, encourage you and give you an understanding of, of where your hope should lie, like where it should manifest, what it should look like. Um, because that's the, the point, right? Like, hope inside of us is important, but it's the hope that we express to the world that ultimately sets us apart and shows people that we are with Christ. And I just want to did it, but yeah, I just want to remind us um, and reiterate that the temple, the mortal agony of Christ, um, in all its glory, is there as a reminder of hope. It is not a, a, it is not something that is defining of suffering. It, it stands there to remind all of us that God is with us. And um, I wrote down here. Like this morning, we're in Christchurch, and I haven't too much time here, but like the Cardinal Cathedral, like for those of you that are from Christchurch or have been there, the cathedral sits opposite the CCTV room where the majority of people died in that earthquake. And I'm like, man, like here's a community that went through so much, and in the very place where there was the, the most amount of suffering, the most amount of death, they've built this <coughs> cathedral that shows that despite all of that, 
Like, we are not defined by this. We are not defined by an earthquake. We are not defined by a mental illness. We are not defined by, yeah, our physical pain. We are not defined by a dysfunctional family. We are defined by our hope in Christ. And the, and the knowledge and the understanding that He is working through us. And that He understands our pain because of the crucifixion. And that in our suffering, we can have intimacy with Him. No, Mick, do you want to jump up? Um, interesting, Johannes Nussler went on to be like this massive leader in the church. Um, he went on to, to encourage a lot of young men into the priesthood. And one of the people that he um, ordained was um, a guy called Joseph Ratzinger, who, um, who went on to become Pope Benedict. Like, amazing, right? This guy who had suffered so much, like, encourages and blesses these young people into following God, and one of the people is um, goes on to be the next Pope. Like, whatever you think of, of the Catholic Church, like, that is still a remarkable legacy. Um, and not only that, he then campaigned for the people that had imprisoned him. So he was like, despite what you have done for me, you've done to me, like, I am going to bestow the blessing of God upon you, because, yeah, again, the suffering happened to me, but I'm not defined by it. Um, yeah, it reminds me of a Ali Wazel quote. Um, I do not live in the past, the past lives in me. And I think that's a really like beautiful way of framing up sometimes. Our suffering, we can sometimes live in the past. But Christ wants to live in us and have the past live in us so we can focus on the future. Nestle wrote in his diary, We walked through the fire and the water, but you led us to freedom. Sing his name with luminous splendor. Praise his glory. I hope that as this year kicks off and this decade kicks off, that we are able in our journey to have a similar diary entry at some point. That we walk through the fire and the water, but you led us to freedom. Sing his name with luminous splendor. Praise his glory.